This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Tomorrow morning, I don't doubt a little little bit of a void in the chest of John Tory. Like, you know when you have decided to leave a job. Um, I've left two jobs and someone's asked me to leave two other jobs. Um, And I've actually quit on the same person twice. It's not a great feeling. I quit on him to go from London to Detroit. I quit on him to go from um, this radio station in 2010 to another station in 2010, where I was for the better part of 10 years. So I've only worked for three companies for 26 years, but I know that feeling that is a little different the first morning after you've switched your jobs. And I don't think that feeling could be replicated um, because John Tory's feeling is a lot different. He has caused his own demise. He has created his own scenario. And I don't know I, and I don't need to know so many of the uh, personal details about where it all went with uh, with John Tory. I do know this. It's getting um, documented that a lot of this travel with this staffer that he was um, having a relationship with um, goes back before the pandemic. Um, it's reported in the Toronto Sun that um, the woman accompanied the mayor on trade missions and governance trips to Los Angeles, Ottawa, Austin, Texas, New York City, and Europe between 2018 and 2020. Um, it's rather remarkable. It's a it's a run. Like, again, this isn't a, a weekend. This isn't a regretful moment. This isn't a 14-day scenario. And, um, and she's got her own decisions to make. Um, there are many people that have weighed in on the power dynamic. Many of you did yesterday with us on the show. And, uh, and I buy the notion that some of you are, are quite convinced that um, he didn't do something wrong enough to to be made to leave but i would make the case that he knows that this is the right decision for him i don't know whether he'll repair his marriage or not i don't know whether he wants to she wants to maybe it was frayed at the seams for a long long time maybe he gained something from this relationship um that he'd never experienced in his life before We don't know. I don't know. And I don't think we deserve to know. Maybe we will know someday, but we sure don't deserve to know. What I know is this, is that I don't think the chaos of the last week will persist. Now, if you heard Brad Bradford, city councilor on the show yesterday, he documented the idea that they can't even meet again. City council can't until March 29th. Jennifer McKelvey becomes the mayor tomorrow. It's not going to have an interim tag or a temporary tag. She's just going to be known as Mayor McKelvey, but she isn't going to run for mayor. Um, I think it's imperative to have this election at minimum before Canada Day. I'd, I'd like to think that they could get that organized in time to do that, but there are statutes saying, well, you've got to open up nominations for a certain amount of days, and then you have to allow for a certain length of campaign. I get all that and understand all that. But it's going to be very fascinating to see where it goes. One of the biggest things for me is we're losing massive numbers in the city. We're we're losing younger people. So we're gaining people, but those are people that that cost the healthcare system. Those are people that may have to go through a little bit of a a combine, if you will, to get them on their track. 50,000 fewer kids um, under the age of 15 live in Toronto. We've got people saying it's a it's an exodus of families. Some are calling it. It's too expensive to live here. And we're seeing that population drain in many major cities in the United States. We are. We're seeing it in in big time cities, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Seattle. I, I sure experienced in Detroit. I don't expect Toronto to become Detroit. 
But I know in the city proper, um, I don't want to see Toronto become some of these other cities. And um, it's a huge, huge job for the next mayor to make sure Toronto is affordable, to make sure there's incentives for families to live here. And um, a lot of this uh, scandal, if you will, will no doubt um, be put behind us at a certain point in time. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our in-studio guest uh, did head to the office. He, he, he might have got an hour of work done already because he's right next door to us at George Brown College. He is former city councillor Joe Cressy. It's great to have you in uh, in studio with us. Your neighbors, in essence, we knew that when you were uh, decided not to run again and, and you took a job at George Brown. Do you like it? Do you love it? I do love it. You know what? I, I love George Brown College. Being at George Brown, it's kind of like it's kind of like being at the city, but without the same politics. Um, I also, <laughs> well, like, I hope not. Yeah, or listen, hope so. I hope so, indeed. Listen, I also have a three and a half year old and I, yeah. I do bath time at home with my kid five nights a week. Gone from when I was at the city, I was out six nights a week. So, no, I love it and I'm happy. Six nights? How, what, 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 give us an example of, of the kind of things. I mean, you're a lot, a lot of the functional things I would think are daytime things or they're, they're weekend things depending on sort of, you know, festivals or the time of year or whatnot. What, what were the evening things that were uh, taking its toll on you? So my time at city hall, the evenings were actually meetings. You know, we, we think of politics and you think of rubber chicken dinners and festivals and the summer barbecue circuit at a, as a city councilor, I was hosting one to two development consultations Monday to Friday, every night of the week. I represented downtown Toronto, the highest growth area in the city. Every single one of those towers has one to two public meetings to discuss it. And so, you know, park developments mm-hmm. and how we fix the park, dealing with shelters and how we manage the challenges around shelters, all of those issues. I was out every night of the week hosting meetings. Uh, I wish I was on the barbecue circuit, but it was <laughs> it was torches and pitchforks in town halls. You eat when you can, basically. Yeah, you eat in hallways and uh, in, uh, in, fr- in front seats of cars and, and whatnot on the way home uh, to bath time. Um, so last Friday happens, and, and I want to know your immediate reaction to it. Um, with the, the news comes down. Um, what are your first thoughts? So my, my first thoughts... Um, and it's actually still where I am a week later, is, is actually just sadness, to be honest. Um, I, there, I have a lot of sadness in this context for, for Mayor Tory and his family. The mayor is a very, very close friend. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of sadness for the young woman who's involved and what she must be going through for the Toronto Public Service, who, you know, they get a bad rap, but the Toronto Public Service, these staff hold this city together day in and day out. And, and for all of us, like, there's nothing good about this. It is a sad moment. And it's also, listen... It's also, this is a human story. This is a story mm-hmm. about, a, in my view, a very good man in John Tory who made a very bad choice. And that's kind of the human condition. You know, we elevate people. There, everybody, you know, there are perfect people out there. No, everything, nobody's perfect. People make bad decisions. Those bad decisions carry consequences. And, and so that's a story of the human condition. And I feel sad about it. I think... I said this all, all week, and, and you can probably relate. I mean, the only marriage most people really know about and probably should really care about is their own. We all have gotten into cars after uh, dinner parties and whatnot or catching up with relatives, and you talk with your wife, and you're like, what's going on there? What did you think of that couple? What's happening here? And it's it's like, so that's sort of the human condition also. Um, I think this is not near the story if this is not a staff member because um, – John's been married a long, long time, and I don't know what exists between him and Barbara or Barbara and him. But but I think I think the red flags clearly were what the mayor recognized 
with being involved with somebody in the workplace and there being a power dynamic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so when he I, I heard about the the scenario, Joe, and then I heard half an hour later that he resigned. And I thought he takes that aspect of it, that it was a workplace scenario seriously enough that he probably realizes there's there's no way back and he doesn't want to put himself um, you know, stretch himself out on the rack at press conference after press conference, put his wife through that, put the staffer through that, put his, put everybody else that works with him through that. No, listen, you know, there was a lot of discourse clearly in the last week and a lot of conversation. Did he need to resign? And, um, by his own recognition and admission, he felt he did. And now the, I think here's what I, here's what I have to, to acknowledge. Often when we look, this is a public story and it's a public figure. But at a human level, this is also a friend of a friend of mine, the mayor yeah. of our city, who said, I need to focus on my family. And how can you not respect that? Um, you know, for I, I was very public earlier this week. I left politics a year ago to focus on my family. I have a young kid at home. I wanted to be there for bath time, as I told yeah. you. And I announced immediately after this all came down that I wasn't running for mayor because I'm focused on my family. And so... Um, put aside, could he have stayed on? Should he have stayed on? All of that. He made the choice to focus on his family, and I respect that. I know also you and I had enough conversations with your work with the Board of Health, and, and we talked about the vaccination campaign and some of the things that were uh, open closed. We, we would debate those at times, but the pandemic was had to be draining for politicians in the decision-making process uh, as well. So some of that probably for you is a, is a recharge of batteries. Nobody signs up to be a politician entering a global pandemic, but it really says something about a politician that says, oh, I want to continue on in the heart of the pandemic. I don't doubt it drained the mayor. It, it, look at, it, wear, it wears me out in this chair sometimes to think about all the pandemic-related news. Like, you, you couldn't escape it as a member of the Board of Health and as a city councilor. I can't escape it here. Um, and it, I don't doubt it. It took its toll on the mayor also. Well, listen, here's, there's a lot of discussion at the moment in uh, what will Mayor Tory's legacy be? And there's a, a lot of people have a lot of perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. In the context of the pandemic, let me tell you something. I, it, Mayor Tory and I come from very different political traditions. We fought vehemently on some big issues, the gardener and the police budget and all sorts of things. Um, that pandemic experience, those two and a half years, uh, he was the leader the city needed. And I, I, as the chair of the Board of Health, you know, we spent two and a half years together in, you know, in meetings day in and day out. There was a time we were in a bubble together early on in the pandemic. The mayor and I, we lived apart from our families, both of us, and we were in a bubble. And he gave everything he had to that pandemic response. You know, it's easy couple, a couple of years later for us all to forget just how destabilizing, scary and tumultuous mm -hmm. that moment was. Remember, and people were dying in seniors' homes. It was awful. And he governed with his 18-hour-a-day work ethic, with compassion, with dignity, with everything he had. And so to me, coming back, like, what will his legacy be? There will be a lot of debates around that and how mm. his exit will have impacted it. But to me, his legacy was how he led us during that most uncertain time. There's going to be people that question, um, be given what we know now about John and his affair during the pandemic, that, that I won't say they'll question policy, but they'll certainly question his ability to focus and how distracted he was and how I think we all have been, as I said, so personally rattled by by we could have a good day and then three bad days in a row. Um, did you ever see 
the strain of the pandemic on Mayor Tory, Joe, and does it make more sense now that he was struggling with something so personally he was wrought with, whether it's guilt or emotion or or ups, downs? Did you ever see it? Well, I, I, who among us over the course of that two and a half year pandemic experience didn't feel severe strain yeah. and pressure and uncertainty? I mean, the there everybody, that pandemic was brutal for everybody bar none. Right. Whether you were a healthcare worker with the strain that came from that, whether you were working from home and isolated while trying to take care of four kids, a senior who didn't see family spheres, that pandemic, the level of trauma and strain that everybody will have experienced was immense. And so who among us didn't feel immense strain? What I will tell you from a work context, I mean, there, the I remember March the 28th, 2020, early in the pandemic, we had been in a strategic command team meeting at the city with eight of us, and we'd received our first modeling on the projections for potential fatalities in the city. It was horrifying looking at the potential for tens of thousands of Torontonians to lose their lives. And it was the first time we'd seen modeling. It was right in the early days. That modeling session on a Saturday morning ended, and I went to sit in the back alley of my best friend's house, and I cried. Mayor Tory never broke. He, while all of us felt the strain of this pandemic, as a leader, he carried on day in and day out. As a partner working with him in that exercise, that stability I needed. I needed that to do my job. The city needed that to respond to the pandemic. The level of internal strain he might have felt and did felt, it never showed externally. It's great to have Joe Cressy in studio with us. He uh, works next door as a senior VP, external relations, communications, and real estate development. That's quite a business card at uh, George Brown College. You know, so not a lot of hands-on with, uh, with with students, but what what are we getting from kids now? They went through quite quite something in the pandemic as well. So when you see the 19, 20 year olds at the school, what's your what's your thought? Are they are they all right? Are the kids all right, Joe? The kids will be all right. All the kids will be all right. I'll tell you, we have at George Brown College, we have 30,000 full-time students. The college sector, it's about getting you a job. Yeah. Right? We have huge labor shortage in our province right now in the skilled trades and hospitality and health services. And that's what people in colleges, that's what colleges do. Job-ready education. We get you jobs and the kids are going to be all right. Good, good. Um, I, th- I bet you probably observed from afar. Um, you were a two-time city councilor, so you, you won the election in 14. You won the election in 2018. Um, John Tory won a landslide, um, but I think there were a lot of people thinking this will be his last term. Why would I give up what I'm doing right now and run against John Tory? Now that the parameters have changed a little bit, I actually think we're going to get some excellent candidates that might have run against John Tory and might have run anyway in 2026. But we're going to get to hear their pitch this spring and summer, aren't we? We are. And, and listen, I, out of the sadness of this moment that, that we're in, Uh, in the experiences with the mayor resigning, this is an opportunity for the city of Toronto. It's an opportunity to have a big conversation about what type of city we want to have and what, and the big issues facing us, of which there are many. I mean, we're a 21st century world class city facing many of the same 21st century urban challenges of others, affordability, housing shortages, a broken fiscal model for cities in this country, an economic recovery in a downtown that hasn't recovered since the pandemic, these are big structural issues that that warrant a big visionary debate. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful that we're going to have a roster of 
of candidates who are in it for the right reasons and putting forward some of those big ideas. When the notion of the strong mayor powers comes out in the summer, um, I can't imagine that would have been something you would have you would have advocated. Many people, um, many of your your former colleagues deemed it to be anti-democratic. And I get it makes sense that the mayor only needs eight colleagues uh, to step up and, and trump the wishes of 16 or 17 other colleges. What, what did you think of it? Is it anti-democratic in your in your mind? Oh, listen, I, I'm of the view that one of the basic tenets of democracy is that the majority rules and the, the principle that we could elect 25 councillors, uh, but the mayor with seven of them can over, overrule the rest, to me flies in the face of what a demo, some basic democratic principles. Um, mm. But l- let me tell you, having had the privilege of working at City Hall closely, let me tell you about the role of mayor, because I think it should help to inform the quality of candidates that we have stepping forward. This is, the mayor of the city of Toronto, I believe, one of the hardest jobs in the entire country. So we have 3 million people in the city. You have a staff of 30,000, an operating budget of $16 billion. And in that context, you need somebody who is not only an exceptional manager, you know, to be able to manage one of the largest institutions in this country, but a visionary leader, able to bring people with them. That is not only is it a hard job to have somebody who can both provide that level of executive management and visionary leadership, those are unique qualities. And so we have tremendous talent in this city. Um, I do hope that some of the candidates aren't just coming from the political ranks. I'd love to see some of our leaders from business or the public sector or institutional sectors step forward. Uh, but this is a very hard job. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can underscore. This isn't just about who can win and what the voting blocks are. It's about finding the right person with the right quality of leadership for this job. You mentioned earlier in the week um, that person is not going to be you. You're pretty happy right now, but I don't doubt two things. One, it's flattering that someone says, well, you'd make a great mayor of Toronto. And two, did it weigh on you at all to even consider this an opportunity? It's it's fate. uh, I wouldn't say smiling upon you, but it's fate that's going to grab a few people and shake up their next few months. Did you think about it at all? So I'll I'll be very honest with you, Greg. I'll tell you on a personal level, um, for a long time, I had planned to run for mayor of the city of Toronto. And that changed um, four years ago when my wife and I decided to have a kid. And um, during the pandemic, for long stretches, I lived apart from my wife and kid to service in service of the city and my pandemic responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, I missed a ton of moments of a young infant son. I missed his first steps. I I missed his first laugh. Uh, I missed his first solid food. I missed all that. And so I left politics last year because I wanted to be a more present dad. And so last week when there was this sudden resignation, my wife and I, we had to say again, what matters to us as a family and as humans? Um, I would have loved to, to have the opportunity to serve the city and act as mayor. I would have, I... I have a, I adore this city and believe that we can tackle some of these great challenges. But right now, I love my three-year-old son more. Yeah. I like bath time more. Um, but here's the thing. I find, and I've been speaking to a lot of the potential candidates who are thinking of running and preparing to announce. What I tell all of them is not, can you win? And what are the issues that might drive attention? Rather, what do you want to do in life? Would you be a good mayor and is this what you want to do? A lot of people in politics never ask themselves those hard questions. What do I want to do and am I the right person to do it? They ask if they can win. And so that's for whoever our leaders are. I come back to this quality of leadership. I want to know what their vision for the city is. I want to know why they believe they are uniquely qualified to help 
implement that vision. I don't want to know if they have the building blocks to win a campaign. Mm. Um, transit is such a massive issue in this city right now. We need people to come back to the TTC. The TTC also needs to run effectively and be safe. You've seen all the debate, and you probably watched it um, from afar these last few months, about whether we should sink money into the Gardner Expressway, when the Eglinton LRT is going to be done, what we do with the Ontario line. Um, we've just got to do a better job of getting people from A to B. I'm sure that may be one of the things you looked at and said, Oh, like I'm going to leave after eight years, but there's so much unfinished business, especially with getting people around this great city. You know, there, there are what's interesting transit. So this is one of many huge issues. I look, you think of the downtown core. I represented downtown for a long time. One third of all the jobs in the entire city of Toronto are located downtown. 51% of the city's GDP is generated downtown. That's because people are commuting here to work. Mm-hmm. Our economic progress is dependent on a reliable transit service that can get people to and from work. Um, that's why it's so important. It's not just about a livable city. It's about our economic productivity. And so one of the challenges with transit, not unlike our challenges with housing, not unlike our challenges with economic recovery, is that no one order of government can solve these big structural infrastructure issues alone. Um, and so when I think of the next mayor, it's not only having the right vision for where we want to go on transit or others, they also have to be able to work with other orders of government to forge consensus, even when there are points of disagreement, because we can't solve transit or housing without all three orders of government working together. How frustrating has the Eglinton LRT project been for city councillors? Well, uh, exceptionally frustrating, but I have to tell you, if what we've all witnessed as commuters and residents of the city of Toronto looking at Eglinton we're about to see that along Queen Street in downtown Toronto oh, for know. the next 10 I years. Um, now, I, yeah. and so, uh, but these are some of these challenges. Some are by our own design and how they've been implemented and the, the infrastructure model for building these transit lines. But some of this is a byproduct of our past inaction. We shouldn't be building the first major transit line along Eglinton 50 years after after it should have been done in the first mm. place. And so now we're we're paying the price in our frustration and commutes of inaction for many years. And so we got to get on with it. Same on mm. housing. Uh, the tremendous housing shortage is because we didn't build enough of the right type of housing for the last 30 years. So we got to get on with it. Yeah, that's why this election, the last election, so very, very important. Um, I know you got you got work to get to on a Friday. Um, come by next month. I'd love to have you in uh, quite regularly. And, and like we said, we're not pulling you from uh, a different spot across the city. I'd love to have you back in. Anytime. Just promise me one time we'll talk about sports. Commentary. All right. Yeah. I mean, the, one well, the, time. I mean, the, one time. The, you know, it, it's maybe maybe the Leafs have to win a first round for you and I to actually be able to uh, to talk positively about them. <laughs> OK, all these regular season wins add up uh, and uh, for this group. And, and I don't know what it means at the end of the day. They've got to beat Tampa or Boston, right? One day, one, one day, day, over yes. the hump. That keeps one getting day. yes. Many, many a city councilor and mayor has uh, has gone through an entire uh, half decade, a half century, waiting for it all to happen. Joe, thanks so much for coming in. You got it, Good to uh, be Joe Cressy, joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto. Everywhere in in um, Ontario is growing. Some cities are growing a little bit bigger than others, and we saw big growth. During the pandemic, and we were seeing it prior to in urban centers like Kitchener, like Hamilton to a lesser extent, and certainly like London. Well, London, um, as you'll hear in this clip, wants 
people to come from Toronto and live in London. And I'm a born and bred Londoner. I love the city. I understand why people would live there. I just want to find out exactly whether or not this policy is working. Here's some of the um, here's some of the hook in terms of getting people to move from where we are in the GTA to the forest city. So uh, my partner and I, we sold our midtown Toronto condo last year and we bought a house here in London. At first we were pumped to like have a backyard, be able to walk to the market, go to parks, go cycling on trails, that kind of stuff. But then, you know, during the fall, we ended up staying in a lot more and cooking a lot more. Okay, so b- bottom line is there's a couple of clips from this. Londoners, London's trying to lure Torontonians away. We just saw this with a massive campaign in Alberta. And when the numbers were basically revealed after a couple months, it seemed to have worked. Like that's a big, big call to pick up and move from uh, the GTA out to Alberta. That's for sure. Joining us right now, the president and CEO of the London Economic Development Corporation. We're trying to get a read on this strategy. He is Kapil Lakodia. Thank you very much, Kapil, for coming on the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So when you um, this campaign got going a while ago, um, it's very tongue in cheek, but I I noticed it right away. I bet you um, I'm not the only one that did. Absolutely. You know, in the uh, last couple of months that we've been running this campaign, we've received thousands of inbound inquiries and uh, our staff has been taking a personalized approach to make uh, the move uh, uh, seamless and uh, easy for people who are looking to choose to um, uh, locate in London. As you mentioned, Greg, London is one of the fastest growing cities in Canada, and we want talent. There are lots of excellent career opportunities in growing industries like healthcare, manufacturing, food processing, and technology. And a lot of uh, Torontonians are contacting us uh, to find out more about these opportunities. And it seems like, uh, look, I've known it's always a big student town. It's always a big university town. Um, I did my undergrad there. um, And it's one of those scenarios where you do notice the vibe of the city ends up being a little bit different when the students go home. But I bet you that experience of going to university there has drawn some uh, some professionals back at a point in time. It seems to have anyway by the numbers. Oh, absolutely. We're being contacted by Torontonians who are ready for a move, as well as former Londoners who are living in Toronto but want to return home. Uh, in addition to the excellent education network that you spoke of, uh, London continues to be a safe, affordable and vibrant community where a lot of families are choosing to plant roots. What are you noticing in terms of cost? It's it look, it's more expensive to rent places everywhere. And I've seen some of the London numbers. They they are jarring. Um, how I'm sure you're answering questions about that from people who are who are looking at it. Do you just make the case? Well, it's still going to be more affordable for you than some of the bigger cities. Well, absolutely. You know, for the longest time, London has been one of the best kept secrets in Ontario. And as the secret got out, uh, the housing prices uh, certainly uh, uh, increased. But uh, with the correction that's happened over the last several months, it's uh, become uh, uh, certainly more affordable. And compared to larger urban centers like Toronto, London certainly continues to be uh, more affordable. So I know there's there's people say, are there jobs? Is there a glut where you say we just don't have the population to fill some really important jobs here? Are you hearing that from employers or like you're with the London Economic Development Corporation? There'd obviously be big companies saying, uh, we can't fill the jobs that we currently have right now, so we need we need immigration in essence. Well, absolutely. The uh, need for skilled talent is the uh, key driver behind this campaign. We continue to attract leading companies to London. In fact, Maple Leaf Foods has just finished building Canada's largest poultry processing plant in London. We just 
yesterday announced a new Italian food company that's uh, going to be building its new North American headquarters and manufacturing facilities in London. In addition to manufacturing, lots of growth in healthcare. London is the regional healthcare uh, uh, center for southwestern Ontario with a number of different hospitals and healthcare facilities. Education with the University of Western Ontario and Fanshawe College, uh, along with the, the largest school board in southwestern Ontario. And the list goes on and on and on. We have uh, job portals like London Tech Jobs, m- manufacturing jobs, and uh, many more that regularly post well over a thousand positions on a daily basis. So uh, through this campaign, we're inviting people to check out these job portals, see what occupations uh, ring a bell with them, and allow us to connect them with some of these growing companies. And I I would bet as well, like there's sort of that fine line. You want to promote London. The website is called don'ttelltoronto.ca. So it is a little bit tongue in cheek. You're not trying to, you know, throw a lot of dirt on the city of Toronto, but you're just saying, hey, like we just want you to know this option is out there. Absolutely. You know, this is why we chose a cheeky social media campaign, and it's making a significant difference. It's a bold step, and it's based, of course, on the premise that uh, Torontonians don't want to admit that they would live or work anywhere else other than Toronto. (laughs) But London has certainly made its entrance, and uh, based on the numbers we're seeing over the last couple of months, there's a lot of interest. Um, I, I know when I come back to London, I notice, I notice traffic more. There's always been discussion, as you'd probably know, about building some form of of a ring road. Hamilton kind of has it. Windsor has it um, as well with the EC row. Uh, I, I don't know if that ship has sailed, but I know London's very north, south, east, west when it comes to roads and, and uh, traffic at times can be frustrating. A- anything in the long term you see that would help that? Yes, absolutely. Currently, the uh, bus rapid transit infrastructure is under construction, as well as there are plans to make Veterans Memorial Parkway into a freeway over the coming years. Uh, so there's lots of infrastructure investments underway uh, to to uh, cope with the increased uh, population base and the growth we're experiencing in the economy. There is a lot of uh, investment uh, in the public works and infrastructure. Yeah, we. I'm, well, uh, look, London vis-a-vis uh, Kitchener. Um, I know Kitchener, you can get around and, and whatnot, but you're that much closer to uh, to Michigan. I think London's that perfect happy marriage where you're two hours from Detroit in two hours from Toronto. So if you like big city stuff, concerts and, and big sports and, and musicians that won't won't stop in London, although you got a great facility there with Bud Gardens, then um, I think it's I think London's geographically placed in a great spot. That's me saying that. Greg, you're uh, naturally an ambassador <laughs> for us. Well done, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to help. If I've convinced just two people this morning, uh, then I, I may have uh, done my job and, and partially uh, yours as well. Thanks, Kapil. I re- or Kapil, I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. You got it. Uh, Kapil Lakodia joining as president and CEO of the London Economic Development Corporation. It's not untrue. I, I look and people might say, well, come on, Toronto is growing. I'm not saying it's the wrong growth. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what you're getting with in terms of families, when families aren't deciding to stay in Toronto, when there is a population drain that's persisting in these big cities, um, how do we get it back to what it was? Like, and it was a different trend pre-pandemic as well. People wanted to move to big city centers because they thought my real estate dollar goes further. My uh, growth. I remember moving here in 2007, 2008. And my father was very much like, you got to get a house on the subway line. And we looked and we thought about it and we debated it back and forth. And we're like, it's just it's too far reach economically. So we are where we are in, in Ajax and we're and. We're so close to the GO train, and I was taking the GO very, very frequently for work. It's harder to do now. 
Um, people say, would you take it if it was 24-7 in the early morning? I think that I would some mornings. I, I do think that. But um, but being on the subway line, we thought would have tremendous value in 2008. Remember what was happening then as well was you're talking global recession, the auto industry where fewer people is crumbling with the big three are fewer people going to drive. What would that do to real estate in Oshawa? And it hasn't really dinged it. You can think what you want about how downtown Oshawa looks sometimes, um, but that's going to be the case. There's going to be some uh, a lived in feel to a lot of a lot of metropolitan areas right now. And I'm going to tell you, London's no different. London has some, you know, some roughness to it, like a lot of cities do that we didn't necessarily spot before. It's got a homeless population. I mean, these are these are things we have to consider all of these factors. But I get it. I get why why they're stepping in and wanting to make a difference here. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. By the way, uh, Sheba, I met another, uh, the woman that cut my hair yesterday is another uh, four, four child parent. I met a four child parent yesterday cutting my hair. Oh, a four child. Oh, you know, it's more and more. There's an actually a survey in the New York Times, an article that came out that said, what's the right number of kids to to have a happy life? And it was four. It was four. <laughs> oh, you're living proof of that. Let's let's. Do- <laughs> oh, I love it. It's hell at first. I'll admit it. But we're in such an awesome groove now. Um, It's one of those scenarios as well where she said to me, like, and I said, oh, well, I've got two and I've got two teenage boys. She's like, no daughters. And I'm like, look. I had the summit talk with my wife. I remember the night it happened. And I said, if our next boy, if our next child is is a guaranteed boy, do you want it? And she said, not a chance. So she's the, like, that was yeah, enough. Yeah, that's when you know you're done. Enough yeah. uh, of the weird X or Y chromosomes, whatever I have. Um, enough of that in the house. And there were two male cats at the time. And nah, she's like, she's like, there's <laughs> oh, just so too much just testosterone. She's surrounded. Yeah, that's tough. She needs lovely girlfriends to drop by and and have yeah. visits with her on a regular basis, and 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 sons, girlfriends, and whatnot. It's interesting um, because her oldest, um, she's daughter is eighteen, and because um, she said, "Well, so your son's, will your son go to university?" I'm like, "Yeah, but not for a year and a half." And her son, her daughter's been accepted to Guelph. She's going to go to Guelph, and I and she said, "Toronto." And this is, I didn't provoke this. She said, "Too violent, too expensive." Like she gets to say, but that's oh. what she said. She's like, I don't want my daughter um, mm. living as a, uh, you know, a lone person in to go to U of T or to go to TMU. I'd be fascinated. I know we're off on uh, something else, but but I would be fascinated to see the enrollment numbers, the acceptances and then the eventual um, the offers and then the eventual acceptances for university this year. Just because of the cost, and just because of a lot of things that have happened in the city proper. I mentioned that sort of drain of of. Um, of people moving out of big city centers and going to less dense and cheaper areas. And I don't know if university would be any different to go to Guelph or I know it's expensive in London and Hamilton and probably even Waterloo to go to rent um, an apartment compared to what it used to be even five years ago. But you got to go somewhere. Yeah. And you have more peace of mind. I think it's apparent when I moved to Toronto and I was 19 and I was at U of T and every time there was like a shooting or anything, something happened. My dad would call me like, don't walk outside. (laughs) <laughs> don't go to go don't go shopping and i was like what's going on dad he would never explain it to me until i saw the news i'm like oh my dad thinks i'm gonna get shot so i can't imagine now parents who are sending their kids off to you to your team you it's stressful do you remember any month that you paid rent like would you have a, in your brain what you paid for rent how long ago it was i was on i lived on bay street with two roommates and i paid honestly 400 bucks a month Oh my god. It was gosh. three of us and it was this it on it and it was the top floor. It was the penthouse of that condo building. And it was four hundred bucks a month. 
It was a very sexy unit right beside campus. All those sexy units. Um, we had in it uh, at Western. There were seven of us in a house for two years in a row, and I think each of us paid about an average of three hundred dollars for per bedroom. Crazy. And so we we were paying twenty one hundred dollars a rent. We figured out that the guy's mortgage was probably like eight twenty five or nine hundred. He was cashing in massive on us. Well, that's the point, of, especially in yes. cities like in a university city. Yeah, you get that rental unit. Yeah. Um, speaking of costs, we saw this, and uh, and the Globe and Mail did a survey. Sometimes with surveys, you know me and surveys and polls. If it's like fifty three percent say this and forty five percent say this, what's it really saying? But they did a um, there was a Carrick on Money survey that the Globe published. Almost fifteen hundred people asked, and eighty percent, eighty percent of the people said uh, they're eating out less. They are not going to restaurants near as much. Eighty one point one percent. Of 1,165 uh, said they're not. And there were various levels of some people are tipping less. Some people order water instead of alcohol. That'll keep your bill lower. Splitting entrees. Um, going out for breakfast instead of dinner. Breakfast is usually a cheaper meal. All, all, it runs the gamut. But I noticed that our family's doing that. Um, I, I love going out for dinner. I love, because I How think. How often do you go out for dinner? Yeah. Uh, Probably once every now it's probably about once every two weeks and we probably order carry in once a week. So I'd say four times a month we probably get takeout and twice a month we're out at a restaurant. And what was it before? Before it went Maybe double that. Maybe double Mm -hmm. that. Maybe maybe we would be out one time a week. And and that could be like, you know, I don't want to call like a Kelsey's is. Uh, pedestrian or a Buffalo Wild Wings or an Applebee's, but it wasn't like like you know you you're, you know you're going to spend 110, 120 bucks for three people. You just start or four people. You just start. Yeah, and, and you have a bigger bill six. with bigger people. So we we do go out. So we eat. We're strict about what we eat at home. Like we eat at home religiously. Religiously, I'd say six days a week, and then one night a week we go out for dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know we all decide. We all pick. It's always a different spot. But sometimes I just sort of look at the bill and I do a double take. Like this is. We we gotta reassess here. We need to go through a drive through or, or I try to get creative, honestly. Sometimes the kids want to order pizza, but I know we went out for like an expensive dinner the night before. And I'm like, okay, we're making our own pizzas at home today. Everybody grab uh, you know a, a pita or something. Because you have to find different ways. You have to get creative. And now since and restaurants, we know what restaurants have been through through the pandemic. Yeah, it, they have been one of the hardest hit sectors. So since I know since reopening, they've had to deal with food inflation, a tighter labor market, right? People can't you can't I know there's I don't know. Are they still struggling with getting staff in? I think so. I think See? getting I think getting people to wait tables is still not the easiest, uh, easiest thing to pull off. And a lot of owners tell me that they don't know where people are. People didn't come back. Yeah, they didn't come back to apply. So how are they making their money? We don't know. But so prices had to go up in that way. Uh, customers are paying more. It's just and then there's a the whole tipping issue. Right. Nowadays, they want you to tip like half the bill. Fifty percent is the new tip. It's just something as simple from, um, you know, I, I see people in the comments saying a, 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 I used to get a clubhouse sandwich at the same restaurant. It was ten dollars. It's now sixteen dollars. So you extrapolate that out. And yeah, sitting in down, I think when we took our son out for his 17th birthday, I think I had a rare uh, two beer evening on a weeknight when I had to get up early. But you look at the bill and you're like, well, there's sixteen dollars. I could have drank ice water instead. Yeah. Um, did I but get you're that? good for the rest of the week, right? Because it's a two drink. <laughs> two yes, yeah. I, I won't. Uh, I won't collapse and die instantly by having that third or fourth drink in a given week. But um, but yeah, and and I think servers kind of cringe. Like when I used to wait tables, you would be really thrilled that you'd have. 
you know, a hundred a hundred dollar check because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna pull in, you know, eighteen yeah. bucks, twenty bucks, twenty two bucks cash on this bill. But I think they grit their teeth a little bit, presenting, hoping that that the the, the sticker shock doesn't get taken out on them and they get yeah. left like ten or twelve percent because I'd feel worried giving them the machine and where you start at eighteen percent or twenty percent. That's not that's not what I would like to do. I want it to be up to the customer. Really quickly, I went out for dinner with two girlfriends last yeah. night. We were out all evening, and Lovely. then I was that person. Uh, the bill came, and I looked at my purse, and I forgot my wallet. <laughs> so my girlfriend had to cover me. Uh, you'll get them next time. I'm quite <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, no, I, you transferred uh, her. 